Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Meister fans. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Russell. Yes, welcome. This is Ben. Today in the show, we have Todd Franzen. Todd grew up in Breckenridge, Colorado, and in the winter of 1991, at the age of 15, he was the national champion in both halfpipe and slalom snowboarding in his age group. Todd has been featured in numerous industry publications, advertisements, and films. He's traveled all over the globe, including Russia, Slovenia, Japan, New Zealand, and Europe. Post-snowboarding career in 2009, Todd was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma stage 4B, a serious life-threatening form of cancer. After much treatment and many procedures, Todd has stayed positive and made a full recovery. So Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi guys. Thank you for the introduction there. Yeah, you've had a very kind of interesting past. And before we get into uh, when you were diagnosed with cancer and the recovery from there, I mean, you're 15 years old. And you're now this professional snowboarder. It's, I mean, a lot of kids pick up snowboarding, but how do you get to that level at such a young age? It was really growing up in, in the Breckenridge area. We were in the middle of snowboarding, snowboarding and becoming a pro. You know, it, I guess I never really thought of it because I was just immersed into the industry growing up where I did. I enjoyed snowboarding. And you know, becoming a pro, that was... I guess it didn't matter to me. You know, I was 15 years old. All I wanted to do was snowboard. And, but, you know, I made a deal with the parents at the, that I had to graduate high school. So, you know, I was really fortunate to be involved with our high school team, uh, Team Summit. And I got to snowboard every day. And I got to do that with quite a few of my classmates also. So I spent almost every day on hill. And being able to ride every day only helped me progress. Now, you were young at 15 years old, but the sport of snowboarding was also pretty young. I mean, you talk about 70s and 80s was when it really blew up, and but it didn't become an Olympic sport until 1998. So what was it like during yeah. those years when not only you're one of the youngest and best out there, but also the sport is kind of exploding? Absolutely. You know, the late 80s, early 90s, it was a very awesome time to be involved in a, in a sport at its infancy. And Breckenridge always had an influx of, of riders coming through it, you know, right out of high school, people from the Midwest to, you know, even the East Coast coming to see the mountains and, and come to experience life away from home too. And Breckenridge was kind of the first stop for a lot of the people. We, we've had so many amazing and talented riders live in Breckenridge for so long and it still happens today too and growing up here we were really fortunate to meet all these people my brother and I had skateboard ramps in our yard we were kind of one of the only families up here there's there's two families up here that had ramps and so during the summer everyone would come to our house so we would get to meet all these professional riders that were or even new riders that were just here but we were all connected through skateboarding. And it, it opened the world for my brother and I. 
you know, not only to snowboarding, but to skateboarding and, and that world. And it was something that we both fell in love with. And during that time, late 80s and early 90s, snowboarding really started to take this street style movement to the snow, a lot of skateboarding influence. And during that time was some of the best and most progressive times within snowboarding. And it was a time where a lot of individuality really kicked in and people really flourished. Yeah, when I learned to skateboard, I was terrible. And I was too scared to do anything, too, because if you fall, you're just you're going to bleed, most likely. And so then I started snowboarding. I felt like I could do a little more, you know, 360s or, or whatever. Did you use snowboarding to kind of help out your skateboarding career, or was it the other way around? For me, it was just snowboarding. Skateboarding was the thing that we really, like I said, my brother got me into it. And when we first started, snowboarding was kind of our way of enjoying sideways sports during the winter. Hmm. You know, we have we have snow on the ground for seven months out of the year. So, you know, what what do you do? You can kind of skateboard in the basement, you know, <laughs> a little bit, but you know, there's there's a very little room there. So we kind of moved outside, and and snowboarding was kind of the next step for that. And I believe skateboarding really help develop my style in snowboarding you become this incredibly talented snowboarder and you gain all these sponsorships and you're doing a lot of competitions and here comes the 1998 olympics in japan and you're 21 years old at that time oh somewhere in there somewhere around the (laughs) 20s and you're you're competing for the olympics but you do miss them can you talk about the qualification process for the olympic team because i've heard in other sports, sometimes it's obscure, and with snowboarding being relatively new, what is the qualification process like for the Olympic team at that time? Uh, at that time, it was there were, I believe, three Olympic trials. It, it turned out to be you had to have the highest, you know, whoever rode best basically got on the team. So mm-hmm. it was just like any other contest. But you know, there are some other things that were going on which a lot of people don't know, and it's still a little bit of a controversial subject because when it was decided that snowboarding was going to become an Olympic sport, there was a, there was a conflict of who was actually going to be the organizing body for that. In other words, snowboarding wanted to be able to control how it was shown to the world. And, and so the, there was a battle essentially between skiing and snowboarding of who was going to control snowboarding in the Olympics. And I'm sure you've heard of FIS, F-I-S, which mm-hmm. is the Federation of International Skiing, uh, was battling it out with ISF, the International Snowboard Federation. There was a lawsuit that Jake Burton and Brad Stewart actually presented to the entire IOC and everything and, and lost because FIS is so involved with Olympic sports, winter sports, with skiing that they basically automatically got the governing body side of it. So throwing that into the mix, it was kind of a strange, strange deal because everyone that rode our hearts were, were all for, you know, snowboarding being run by snowboarders. But at the same time, you know, we were also being kind of directed by our sponsors to have to do this also. So for me personally, I was a little bit conflicted about it. I still did it because it was something that my sponsors wanted me to do. But I didn't feel 100% right about it. And, uh, and that's the whole reason why Terry Hawkinson never did the, the 98 Olympics. So have things changed recently? 
Um, I wouldn't say things that, I mean, yeah, it's changed, you know, time, time has given it enough where people, the older snowboarders and the older generations remembers, but a lot of the younger kids don't really know the history behind it. Has, has it changed? You know, it's still the same, the same type of competition that you have to qualify to get on the team, but time is kind of, I don't want to say forgettable, but I think it's, you know, a lot of the newer generation doesn't really realize the amount of time and effort went in to trying to protect snowboarding. Oh, yeah, definitely a dynamic time for the sport. So we fast forward a little bit to after the Olympics, and I read in an article for an interview with you at ESPN that you became burnt out and snowboarding became not fun for you anymore. Is it a weird feeling to know that for the past 10 years you're so dedicated to something and love it so much and it consumes you, but then all of a sudden you don't want to be part of it anymore? Yeah, I think it was it was more of the burnout side of it. You know, when you're when you're spending, you know, two hundred and fifty days plus on snow, that that's just a lot of time. And then when when things don't go quite the sponsor's way, essentially, it it took a toll because there was a huge investment into, you know, all the magazine coverage, all the competitions, you know, video production, and just building building a brand. And so, after you know, I ended up uh, almost breaking my hip, and that's kind of what really just turned me off of it. And from from the sponsors and professional side of it, because I was, I had forgotten what it was that really got me into snowboarding. You know, and and so I was just burned out. I was burned out on, on all the on all the traveling and all the on a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of levels in there that that really just was was tough. And and I guess I just needed a break. Did you also have a lot of pressure too, having so much success at a young age? Um, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. I I always strive to keep learning, learning new tricks and and being as progressive as I could and I think there was a point where I just you know, again the burnout side of it really just hit me pretty hard, you know. I after losing losing all my sponsors or just getting dropped and it was I guess it was a fight that I I didn't really care to keep going, you know. I I, I loved snowboarding. I loved being on on snow but i guess there was a point where it really became more of a chore than it was fun Hmm. and that's where it really just i had to i had to take a step back Hmm. i guess let's fast forward a little bit to more recently in 2009 uh, you were diagnosed uh, with cancer Uh, what was kind of going through your head when you actually found out that you had cancer (laughs) um the first thought that came to that came to my mind was, okay, I know what's wrong with me. Hmm. Um, it was for for you know hindsight, so it was twenty twenty. So as I look back, about a year or so, I I started dealing with symptoms, but I didn't know it. You know, just thing things changed. You know, food tasted differently, and I hmm. I didn't really think too much about it. Whatever, and you know, I ended up losing a bunch of weight. Um, almost, almost 30 pounds, 25 wow. pounds it wow. was. And, you know, but I figured that was from, from the work that I was doing. I was doing a bunch of logging work. So, you know, there was a lot of, lot of very physical activity going on. And that initial, that initial 
feeling was, okay, I know what's wrong with me. You know, there's, <laughs> I got cancer. Mm -hmm. The next day was pretty heavy. I was like, holy shit, I got cancer. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. God, you know. But I, I, I guess I never, yeah, I was pretty frightened, you know. I mean, everything that you hear about cancer is kind of a nail in the coffin. So I kind of, uh, I, I went through about a week, you know, five days or so of, you could say I had my own little pity party, I guess. But at the end of the day, you know, my will to live was, which was much stronger. And, and so I knew what I had to do and, you know, it was going to suck and so be it. And you say, you know what you had to do and you're ready to face that challenge. Do you think having the mindset of an athlete helped you in your recovery? Yeah, I think it helped me see it a little bit more cut and dry or black and white, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and then also some of the experiences that I had after my snowboarding career side of it you know, helped me really be more determined and, and know the direction that I, I wanted to go with this. You know, I wanted, I wanted to live and I wanted to, to survive. I've read in places that you said, you know, some people can, can have a negative outlook on this, but you've really had a positive one. And you've said that it gave you the direction you needed. How did your outlook on life change when, when you said, I'm going to face this head on? Well, I was still I was still dealing with some burnout from from snowboarding and and then throw this into the mix and it kind of the cancer side of it added with my snowboarding side of it kind of created a really good story and it created a a purpose for me. So it, it I kind of knew maybe not right off the bat, but I I started to know kind of what it is that I should start to be doing and what I should start to be focusing on and and as as I was going through treatment, that was the part of my blog was was getting my feelings and my thoughts out on paper so that I could start working through those. And, and it was also to kind of help me put together what I figured was really important in a story that I could tell others too. I mean, it's an incredible journey that you've been through. And usually when something like that happens, your family, your friends, any kind of community you were involved with, are right there to help you. How did the snowboarding community reach out to help, or was that was that a tough thing for you since you had had a rough maybe ten years with them? The snowboarding community was was amazing. Even some of my old sponsors stepped up and and really supported my fight, and I wasn't expecting that. I mean, there was actually a part of me that really felt like I was just thrown away. I was just kind of used up and tossed out. So when I started getting support from industry, it really, it got me excited to snowboard again. Hmm. You know, I, I actually didn't stop snowboarding. I just, you know, I wasn't putting 250 days on the hill like I was. So it kind of got my drive back. And that year, I think I got, I didn't ride a whole lot during treatment. I think I got like five or six days on the hill. But those those five or six days were like the days that I, I didn't, think about the treatment i didn't think about the shitty feeling of chemotherapy or i didn't think about my own mortality it was just me it was the hill and just making turns and it really was my escape during treatment i mean that's got to be so hard and it's lucky that you were able to get out there and snowboard 
was it really tough to then have your end of the day come and then you have to kind of go back to real life? You know, it was a little bit more on the side of just, I, I felt like I could take a breath. It was that escape from it. The The reality was there. You know, the reality wasn't going to change. But being on the hill gave me a little bit of time to just maybe reflect a little bit on, on what was what was most important. I just, it's funny, I think about, I think about being on the hill and the runs that I would take and, and it was some of the most enlightening time during treatment that, you know, I was able to really think about what it is that I wanted, what it is that I, I needed to do. You found something that could help you kind of get through it and enlighten you, as you were saying. Did you end up talking to other friends that had had cancer and then maybe this is something that I could help other people with as well? Yeah, I mean, definitely things started kind of working in my head about what I could do to help share this, you know, share this gift that that snowboarding has given me and and has given me through my treatment. I I remember a time when I was about to go in for my transplant. I, I was determined to do a project that would help people do that. I was in the midst of trying to just keep myself moving forward too and in a lot of the other realms of my life also you know i i had a girlfriend at the time who's now my wife who was absolutely amazing in in my recovery and in my treatment and being there right by my side through the whole thing and you know i, I bounced a lot of ideas off of her too so let's continue that positive momentum and talk about strapping for life a, an organization which is basically mimicking that experience that you had and that solace that you found in snowboarding. Tell us about Strap-In for Life. Yeah, Strap-In for Life is an idea that all came together, especially after a partner was diagnosed, Dave Tuck, with uh, stage 3 pancreatic cancer. Dave was a, a long, a longtime friend, one, one of the kids that moved from Michigan to Colorado, uh, got to meet through skateboarding. And he and our other founder, Mike Daniel, got the whole thing going. And, and so Strapping for Life has become this, this project to, to really help cancer patients experience snowboarding. Our mission is to help those affected by cancer through snowboard culture on the mountain and beyond. And that's what we're doing. We're getting cancer patients on the hill and getting them to experience snowboarding at its at its most pure and creating experiences for those people that are, are in the middle of treatment or have just finished up treatment and want to want a break also. Your primary goal is to allow patients whose lives have been affected by cancer to escape their reality and escaping yep. their reality really struck me. I mean, that's a, that's an intense statement. What is the reality that they're facing and what are some of the heartwarming stories that you've heard? Well, the biggest reality is potentially death. The stories that we've even helped create is uh, we have one kid out of Montana that has lung cancer and has been battling that for the last year. And he was able to get down, fortunately, his family in Denver. And so he was able to come down to see his family. And we were able to arrange tickets and some VIP passes to do tour this last year. And so he was able to come up, and we were able to get a couple runs in, which was awesome. 
you know, it wasn't a whole lot. We kept it really mellow. You know, he was still in the middle of treatment, but he was strong enough to take some runs. So that was that was absolutely great. What is the biggest challenge that you guys are having at Strapping for Life? And how could some of the listeners that are maybe skiers or snowboarders themselves uh, be able to help? We're going through any growing pains that a new business and we do treat this a little bit more like a business. Obviously, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of there, there's just a lot of emotion involved in in this project with mm-hmm. you know myself and Dave's wife Emily and and Mike Daniel also. So the volunteers that we have are very connected. We're just trying to be patient with how this grows because it is important for the board to grow this and have longevity with this program. I think from a support standpoint, you know, we're always looking for volunteers and ambassadors to help us to expand the word and what we're trying to do. And also let us know if there's someone that they really care about is to let us know and and we will do everything that we can to help. And Todd, I had one more question for you. You are now cancer free, right? It is not detectable in your body. Yes, it is not detectable in my body, but the type of cancer that I had, the lymphoma, it could eventually come back. The likelihood of it coming back after five years really drops off altogether. But uh, I live in remission. And so that is just something to learn to live with. You know, and there's a chance it could come back. The chemotherapies that I took may cause other cancers down the road, but I am doing everything in my power to prevent that from happening. You've gone through so many ups and downs relative to those. You've got to have such a positive outlook on everything you encounter these days. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) There's, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I definitely have my moments and daily stresses do sometimes come into play. But, you know, that's all part of the learning experience. I accept the fact that I have gone through what I have. You know, I I really am going to do what I can to make it better not only for myself my family but for for those around me and like i said i'm just happy to be here yeah definitely and just for our listeners if you want to see any other information about strapping for life or learn anything else about todd he'll have his own uh, meister profile page on our website mtnmeister.com and uh, we just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today it's been a great story and we're so happy that you're thriving now and everything's going great so thank you so much Uh, No, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Meister fans, thanks for listening to Todd Franzen. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and guys, we're still doing the Meister giveaway. We gave away two pieces of gear last week. We still have about 10 more. Lucky fans. Lucky fans. And you can see all the different products that you can win at our website, mtnmeister.com. And to win this stuff, Russell, what do you need to do? All you need to do is go to Facebook and tag Mountain Meister in one of the episodes that you share. Does not sound too difficult to me. And join us tomorrow on the show when we have Julian Carr. Julian jumps off of 200-foot cliffs, and I'm not even kidding. And he is comfortable with it, apparently. So learn how he doesn't die from one of those experiences. 